I'm not too worried about it. There's a few places that I want us to focus on with the theme of today. Now, you've heard me say these things many times, and you'll hear me say these things again. But we, as a culture, and as a people, as a congregation, as a community, I'm not quite sure that we've yet to discover the reality of what love is. And there have been a lot of failed attempts at trying to teach it. A lot of failed attempts. So we teach it through the expression and the exposition of what the Bible says. In other words, we expose what the Bible teaches. So we teach that God is love and that love is God sending his son, God the son, to the earth to be born into the world and in his life living as a person, he fulfills all righteousness because he is righteousness. He loves correctly, he lives correctly, he learns correctly, he laughs correctly, and any other L that could pop out of my head in one sequence. Jesus Christ is the absolute quintessential reality of righteousness. He is loved. God loves us, therefore we love him. But we have really messed it up. And you've heard me use the, the, the examples about, you know, we love pizza, we love sports, we love movies. Man, we hate this weather, blah, blah, blah. And so language and experience and the things that we put in our minds has, has tainted everything that we ought to be doing and being as a people. And this is not an indictment, this is an observation. In six years from now, it's not going to be any better for us. We're not going to be stronger, more loving. Or, oh, but we must think about this moment today. We spend too much time as human beings in the wrong place. We spend too much time in the future hoping to get to a better place, better me, better opportunity, better this, better that, better vision. Or we spend too much time in the past in one of two ways. Wishing that it was as good as it was back then or lamenting on how bad it was back then. And so then it pushes us back to the future. I hope it's better. I bet it's going to be just as bad. <laughs> this is not living. This is, this is worthless living. It's worthless thinking. I don't know who said this, but some you know Christian... Uh, Psychologists probably said it's stinking thinking. It's beyond stinking. It's worthless. It's vain. And then we've done a wonderful job as a culture. Christianity has done a wonderful job over the centuries of expressing this good, pious way of life, this freedom we have in Christ by surrendering us to put on shackles, to become slaves. And then calling that slavery, slaves to righteousness. Aren't you glad you're free to not breathe, not think, not eat, not smile? Put your smile away, young lady. This is church. I mean, that would be one of the most ironic but self-fulfilling prophecies if we named a church, No Smiles Baptist Church. And people would show up laughing at him, like, take your smile away. We'd have shushers at the front door instead of ushers. No laughing, no smiling. We don't have ushers. You just got to find your own seat. And if somebody's in it, sit next to them. Or sit in their lap. That would get a rise. What happened? I don't know. We just sort of playing musical chairs and he was in my chair. Yes, there are a lot of things that I have come to be aware of in my own life. But I am one of your pastors. And so when we, as God's teachers to God's people experience God's purposes, we are to then also contextually express those purposes. You understand that preaching the Bible is not classroom material. Preaching the Bible for the sake of the church is to impress upon us as a people to know the word, to know the Lord, and to know each other in an intimate way that we cannot do so without the context of the assembly 
And part of that is that as teachers of the scripture, we go through the squeezing just a couple of days or a couple of hours before you get to hear about it. Any man that stands, any woman that stands, any mother that stands, any father that stands, any child that stands, old, young, or whatever, and stands as an authority of what we ought to, we ought to be doing, but yet in their own lives has not come to learn that in wisdom through experience. Don't know what they're talking about. And so as much as I have experience in the Lord's discipline, I can say with absolute certainty, this is how the Lord works. And the areas where I don't have that experience, I can say this is what the Word says. But I must be careful to recognize the difference in what God has shown me and taught me and put me through and what God's Word says that I should understand about how to go through it. But sometimes we see this authoritative thing, right? And many of you through the years, I have done it as well. We take this person standing here on this platform as this incredible example of godliness. And I've always said that that's a, a problem for you to look at me that way. And everybody laughs as if I'm a comic when I'm really just being honest. And then there is this nature in us where we get into deeper theological things. Nothing wrong with that. But we get into the nuts and bolts of the spiritualized side of, of, of the understanding of the Bible. And we want to experience that. And we want to drive. And so we think, oh, we got to get more of that. We've got to get more of that experience. We've got to get more of that emotion. We've got to get more of that, of, of this, of whatever it is. We don't even know how to call it. So we think that w- what we need to do is we need to study. And then the next thing we know, we're studying ourselves out of love. We're putting ourselves in a place where we don't even love ourselves. We don't love the Lord, and we certainly don't love the Lord's people. And then some well-meaning authority comes and says, we've got to love one another. And then, ding, dang it, we're all back to the guilt place. We're shackled again in misery. And we're starting over. And the squeaky wheel, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, the squeaky wheel gets the love, the squeaky wheel gets the attention. The squeaky wheel is not even messed up. It just squeaks while the whole structure of the machine is falling apart. The engine is tearing up. The electricity is drained. And we're spending time with a squeak. And sometimes that squeak is in our head. Sometimes that squeak is our spouse. Sometimes that squeak is our children, our our circumstances, what we wish we had, what we wish we didn't have to go through. Beloved, we, we, we talk about the sovereignty of God, and let me tell you something. If God were not sovereign, I would not want to be here. And when I say be here, I'm not talking about in this space, standing on this stage. I'm talking about in this world. There is absolutely no purpose outside of God's promises. But we as believers are not exempt from the strain and the pressure and the, and, and the posturing of wishing that we could get the world under our grasp. Not even in greed ways, not even in maniacal ways, not even about controlling. We just wish we could have a, a sense of just lazy river type living for just a month. Can we just sit in the inner tube without a sunburn for one day? I spent, a lot of, I spent all day at the pool yesterday, so you know, I've got that on my mind. Why can't life just be normal for just a little while? Newsflash, that is normal. It is normal. Tornadoes of the mind, hurricanes of the soul, floods of the emotions, darkness, and light, and beautiful weather, and awesome clouds, and a gentle breeze. It's all part of the experience. The only constant is the never-changingness of our Lord and Savior. So we as the church, we as the elders, we as brothers and sisters have not just an opportunity, but we have a responsibility to encourage each other in the Word. And beloved, do you know that it's easy to go a whole week and not even tell anyone about the gospel? You know why that is? Because we're not telling ourselves about the gospel. That's why it's so attractive to get stuck into the theological trainings of academia. That's why it's so easy to get into the podcasts. Welcome to today's heresy watch. We got a new man on the list, James Tippins. He's number six. Hallelujah. 
if somebody wants to give me airtime or free rent, I'll fill it up with something for them. And I pray that it would be hope and joy and opportunity. But look, the Bible hasn't promised that our circumstances are going to get better. But the Bible has promised that if our attention is on the love of God, that it will be better. Love. The prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason, so much there. Trey, you've got to hurry up and fill this in so I don't have to talk about it. For this reason, for what reason? For this reason, the stewardship of God's grace, me as a, as a slave to you, the Gentiles, sharing with you the amazing reality of two people, the picture of separation from God, the picture of justice and righteousness and judgment. Because God has established you in Christ, you are now all one in Christ because of the love of God. By grace you have been saved. You see, this is Paul's tenacity. And he's suffering. And he's not worrying about escaping his circumstances. He's worried. He's not even worried. He's embracing the opportunity <laughs> to rejoice in them. I have to be careful because I can emphatically, with charisma, change your emotion right now. Because I get excited about things and I get in my flesh. And that flesh is excitable. I like to have a good time. I like to enjoy things. I like to laugh. I like to hide behind comedy. Because it erases that whisper of things are awful. Things should be better. I should have done better. You know, that liar. But because of the promise of Christ, Paul prays this prayer. For this reason, I bow, I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family I don't even, I'm not even going to preach this. I want you to hear the word of God. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the rest of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask for or all that we could think of. How? According to the power at work within us, within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever. It is so. Amen. Let's pray and go home. It's enough. If we did nothing else this week but take those few sentences and embrace them and get up every day and read them to ourselves and read them to our loved ones and read them to our children and read them to our spouses... And discipline ourselves to just be strengthened in our inner soul. The heaviness of this life would not feel so heavy. It would still weigh exactly the same. But we wouldn't be carrying it. I have spent the better part of ten years learning to apply biblical truth to life. My terminal instruction and academics is in applied epistemology, applied theology. And the irony is that it focused on the love of God. Yet in the deepest 
season of the need of that, I couldn't find it. Because I've realized that in those same 10 years, and I don't worry about what was before all that, I was sort of on autopilot under a very serious oppression of just like culture. Thought I had escaped it, but no. But in those 10 years also, I've learned that I've spent that time seeing that I have not learned how to apply wisely the Bible. And there's freedom in that. Because it allows us, as Paul would use that illustration, that imagery, wake up, O sleeper, and arise. Wake up. I mean, people write the movies and books like The Matrix for a reason. Alice in Wonderland for a reason. This is not new. This is not a new idea. It's not science fiction. It's psychology. It's spiritual. It has everything to do with the thoughts and the minds and the affections and the disciplines of the person inside of us. <laughs> Where if you study, like I do in certain philosophical circles, you realize that now we've come to conclude there is nothing inside of us. And these, these people are getting traction as they are told people to listen to them who are nothing inside of anything. <laughs> okay, my brain just went to sleep. The scripture teaches us differently. To arrest this understanding that we, we don't really know what we're doing. We don't know that just because it has been the practice doesn't make it correct. Just because it has been the theology doesn't make it accurate. Just because it has been the culture, of course it doesn't make it right. And I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about me. And I want to talk this morning about love. I know a love like this. I know a love like this that loves me because of me in spite of me. And the Bible teaches this. And then the Bible teaches me to love like this. And I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. And I'll be 50 next year. And you know what that makes me feel like? A failure. But you know what it really means? God's got it. His purpose, His plan, His power. What does it mean to love? Let me give you a philosophical definition of love. Love is to give or extend one's own self to the needs. No, scratch that. To the nurture of another's spiritual growth. And I'm using spiritual there in a secular sense, in a philosophical sense. But as a Christian, as a believer, as a spirit-filled person, then we know that also includes the spiritual sense of the gospel. Why? For the purpose of growing them. So love seeks to grow another. To make sure that everything that I do as a lover embraces everything that person needs and wants to do for their own good joy and goals. Like I said, secular philosophical definition. By expanding them, encouraging them, helping them reach their goals. Helping them thrive. Having their best interests at heart. Now, I can put passages of scripture to everything that I just said. I can give a proof text and a pretext, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm right. So test my words by the word. But if you want to test my words by the culture, I'm not interested. If you want to test my words by your Google search, I'm not interested. If you want to test your word, my words by the context, I'm always interested. You see, God will teach you. He will teach you. You don't, need, you don't need me. My job isn't to make sure you get, the, the, get it right. My job is to make sure you hear it. And God will get it right for you. 
Let's hear some of those proof texts. Love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 12. I've been in Romans 12 for a couple of weeks. It's there. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in, serve, in showing honor. Brotherly, sisterly affection. It means familial affection. Sibling affection. It doesn't mean masculine, male, boy, man. It means siblings. Paul would tell the church of Philippi, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Love then would say, okay, when the interest of another that I love conflicts with my interest, Paul would command husbands to lay down those interests and command wives to lay down those interests. You see, if we're both seeking to serve the other, we're getting served, we're getting loved, we're getting needs, and I don't want to conflate these things because there's a difference between love, meeting needs, and adoration. Galatians 5, for you will call the freedom brothers and sisters. Only do not use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but use that freedom to serve one another, which is love. 1 Corinthians 13. We all know this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. We should add that to the marriage vows. I will be irritable. It is not resentful. <sighs> A contemptuous person is impossible to love. But they're not. Because usually they're contemptuous because you're impossible to love. You see? It does not rejoice at wrong. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And later Paul would say, it does not keep a record of wrong. I journal every day, all day. Some of you see me pick my phone up and start. I'm journaling. Journaling. Three, four, five, six pages a day. And I've been doing that for a long time, and I did not do that for two years. I started back in September. And it was one of the worst things I ever did to not journal. Just a little tip. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Ephesians 4, I'll get there in a minute. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. James says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. You're doing well. And 1 John 3. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let's not just love in what we say and how we talk. Let's love in what we do. John 15, 12, Jesus, this is my commandment, that you love one another in the same way that I love you. Matthew 22, 39, and second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is Jesus being tested by the Pharisees. But here's the thing about love. This serving, this sacrificial, this unconditioned, we, we confuse it with the feeling, right? I think DC Talk said it best. Love is a verb. Love is a verb. It's an action. How do we know the love of God? Because of what he has done for us. Not what he said to us. What he's done for us. And what has he done for us? Christ Jesus in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died, sacrificial replacement, substitution, righteousness upheld, and the forgiveness of his people. Oh, how do we know it worked? He rose from the dead. Now we see the love of God manifest completely and fully in all the glory. Birthday suit type glory. I see you. And I see you love me. I see you love me. How should I love you? How can I love you? Let me count the ways. You know the, the old the poem. I've taken a stab at that kind of stuff. But love is not about our feeling. Love is, is sort of interesting because 
we think love sometimes then is meeting needs. But that's not love either, is it? Because can I not meet your needs and not care much about you? Absolutely. I'm a hyper-empath. I'm fighting that. I'm being healed of that. It's not been an easy road. It's been very difficult. It is a clinical issue. But I'm free. I'm free to feel, but not die. And so, yes, I can see somebody on the street that I've never met, and after 30 seconds, I feel something. I feel what they feel, and it's not easy, because then I feel responsible, and I can't fix it. So it's not my responsibility to fix it, but if they're hungry, I can give them some food. So I can meet their needs without loving them. But yet, if I love them and don't meet that need, that's not love. You see? So we can care for people. I mean, doctors and nurses, and they care for people all the time, but they're not loving them. Counselors and therapists, they can talk and care for people all the time and meet needs, but they're not loving them. That would be strange. So you can't really counsel or give therapy to your immediate family. It's very difficult. Love is not required to meet someone's needs, yet if you do love, it does require meeting needs. And what happens, in, especially in marriages and stale relationships, and we get into the mundane, we just do the same thing over and over again in the church, with our children even sometimes. We just meet needs, we meet needs, we meet needs, we meet needs. We go, I'm loving, I'm loving, I'm loving. And we lose the feeling that we think is love. And then the next thing you know, we're... Resentful. We're frustrated. We're bitter. We're whatever. And then we are abusive. Emotionally. Verbally. Sometimes people are physically. And then we are, not, we are neglectful. And when we are abusive and neglectful, there is no love present. When we dismiss and neglect those we say we love, we are not loving them. We are literally doing the opposite. And that's not to indict us in guilt. That's to make us open our eyes, wake up, and see. Love requires care. Don't believe me? Listen to this. Philippians 2. I've just said it. Look after other people's interests, not just your own. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Matthew 25. Jesus, they ask, when, when did we ever see you hungry, naked, in prison, sick, thirsty. Huh. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And when you did it under the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. See, people think, oh, I just love the Lord Jesus. Be thou my vision. It's one of my favorite songs. I love it. So when I'm like a pipe organ, might even actually make me feel my, I could feel more spiritual if it was, you know, I have to get a, I have to get a flag and start waving. I might get a little Pentecostal up in here. <laughs> I love it. It makes me feel something. I feel something. I feel that specialness. I feel that emotion. I feel that affection. I feel that yes. And we're looking for that in love, and that's not what love is. And that's not love when I feel that. That's emotion. Cathexis is actually the clinical term for it. And it can, that, that, that type of feeling can happen with anything. I'm very sentimental. So I have objects that were given to me by people who are no longer in the world, and I'm attached to those objects. Not as much as I used to be. You can be attached to ideas. You can be emotionally attached. And it's okay to be attached in a loving relationship. But don't confuse that feeling of tenderness and affection and butterflies and all that stuff. That will come and go depending on what's going on in your mind and in your body and in your world. Because it will cause us to look at things with a different set of glasses. I've got so many sets of glasses now. I went from no glasses to too many glasses. But I'm not going to be without them anymore. I'm not going to step and break on two pairs in one week. 
We look wrongly because we're not understanding what we're doing. And that's really what happens when we find ourselves lost, right? We're not willing to ask for directions. We're not willing to open up the map. We're not willing to check beforehand. We find ourselves wandering around and trying to go, well, I know where I'm going. And we just go into circles. We end up in the wrong direction. Same thing with the recipe. I know how to cook this. And next thing you know, you're throwing it away and going to McDonald's. I know how to deal with this issue. Let me just sit down with these people. And you don't think, you don't listen. There's a lot of stuff going on there, but we need to realize that when we love God, it's not about how we feel toward Him. Those things come through discipline. We drive ourselves to feel emotion and to feel affection and to feel connection. It's an act of the will. It's not what causes us to know if we love someone or not. If we love someone, it's because we've chosen to love them no matter what they are or how we feel. Love like Christ. So this nonsense about I fell out of love is a bunch of hogwash. It's nonsense. This idea about, you know, well, I just, I don't feel anymore. I don't know anymore. No, you do know. You're making a willful choice not to. Because it's not love. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained in the world. As you wish that others would do to you, do to them. As you wish others would speak to you, speak to them. As you wish others would give to you, give to them. As you wish others would see you, see them. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And beloved, I'm talking to me. Cathecting. Cathexis. It's not love. Because we can love things that aren't sentient. I've loved a stuffed animal before that I cried when I lost it as a kid. One of our dogs destroyed a stuffy of one of my children's years and years ago, and they wept. Why? Because we personify inanimate things, and then we have a feeling toward them. That's cathexis. It's an emotional thing. It doesn't mean we care about them, and it doesn't mean we love them. Because if we're not looking after their spiritual, emotional physical well-being, if we're not caring about growing with them, we're not loving them. And even then we have to be careful because love is a willful choice. That's why marriage is a picture of the gospel. God made a willful choice to purchase a people through the death of his son. Marriage is the most perfect picture of that. And it's because marriage lives with two people who are independently selfish, who are commanded by biology and theology to be interdependent, not codependent. Remember, I talked about that about a month ago. <laughs> and it's impossible. It really is impossible. Because we're really not compatible in our nature unless we're just getting our own way. When we're deeply drawn to other people, we invest feelings and emotions. And that person becomes important to us because we've invested. You see the discipline there? We choose to invest our time and emotions there. That's the idea of love. These feelings come and go, but the love that we have stays. Because it's the choice we've made. We don't deserve God's love or grace. He gives it unconditionally. We did not deserve to be counted righteous in the death of Christ, but it was credited to us. And when given the opportunity, we won't even make the right choice concerning that. Because it's not a choice. It's a divine gift. And there's a lot of times where our culture, they think that love is this feeling, love is this emotion, love is this thing. No, love will produce that on that which it wants to produce that. We will choose to give ourselves emotionally and be emotionally available to the things that we want to love. But if we don't want to love those things, it is so easy to shut them out. 
The negative side of that is that we see people just destroying relationships because of their unwillingness to be honest about their emotions. And the other negative side of that is it's not only about relationships. It can happen in politics, you know, nostalgia. Like I said earlier about the way things used to be. Oh, man, it was just like the old days. I mean, you, you sisters, do you really want to go back in time? If I asked this, I asked Robin this question a couple of weeks back. I said, if we could go back any place in history, where would you want to go? She said, as a participant or just an observer? As a participant, nowhere. As a woman, I don't want to go back five years, much less a hundred. Being my own boss, running my own company, doing my own stuff with agency and equality. To be in property? Heck no. And the sad thing about that is that women were in that place because people said the Bible said they should be. That's, that's satanic. A lot of the old school ways. That's a misplaced cathexis. <laughs> I want nothing to do with it. We see, we see it in ageism. We often see it, you know, boomer. You know, you see that kind of attitude. Like people, young people say that kind of stuff. Because sometimes there's this affection that we have with ideas and epochs. Man, I just miss the way it used to be. How about be present today? This psychological term is not in the Bible. But there are places that we can see the relationship of cathexis in terms of our affections, our focus, and our devotion. So we learn to be devoted. The Bible teaches us that we should learn to be devoted to produce the emotions, to produce the affection for the things that we have decided to love. And specifically speaking, two things. The Bible says for us to love two things. What are they? The Lord and others. And in the others... We are to love our spouse and our children and our family and our church and our community, our world. And we're to do so by being disciplined to learn how the Lord loves us. Because it's really the fuel, beloved. It's really the fuel. It's really what's going to keep Tippins from becoming apathetic and cynical and fearful and anxious about relationships in the world. And for those of you who've been with us, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't think that stuff affects our, all of our relationships, it does. It's affected our relationship. It's affected my home. It's affected the way I look at the world. It's affected anything. It does. So first, we must understand that the Bible teaches us that we ought to put affection. We have to be disciplined to create the, the space and to give time to the thoughts and emotions that would make us see the world through the lens of the love of God so that we might love him through the lens of Christ, that we might love one another, and it starts at home. Sometimes people get extremely benevolent and get extremely, you know, uh, community-focused because they want to overcompensate for their lack of discipline, of loving in the smaller circle. That's why multimillionaires and billionaires later in life, they start giving away 90% of their money because they're like, i got to do something good with it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many misapplications have you heard that? I mean, I remember being taught in my 20s, Robin and I serving the Lord and trying to, thought we were, and being told, you know, I want to look at your, I look at your checkbook. I want to see where you spend your money to see if you're really serving the Lord with your money. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen. It's none of your business. I mean, that, that's legalism. That's garbage. But we were told that. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Colossians 3. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, these are commands. Set your mind, delight, love, be affectionate. Put your emotions here, not here. So the things that we feel, our feelings are ours to control. 
And when they're not where they should be, it's, it's because we're not letting them. We're stifling them. I'm not kidding. We're stifling them. And we're doing that sometimes by looking through a lens of all the negative. To try to find the princess in the pea. You know the story? Never understood the moral of the story. That the princess could be known to be the princess if she could feel the pea under like 20 mattresses. I didn't sleep at all. The pea kept me away. Okay. I mean, who has the money to buy 20 mattresses? Those things are ungodly. <laughs> Expensive. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything that is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That includes the divine, it includes the world, it includes each other. And when we do these things, we are actually then loving God. If we're not looking for the good in one another, we are not loving God. If we're looking to find all the problems and they're there and it's not that we should ignore them. We should speak up as the church when we see injustice in the world. But it's not our primary mission, but it is something we must speak on. Because it is affecting us. I didn't think it affected the church like it does. But it does. It does. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father is not in him. Do not be conformed to this world, as we've talked about over the last two weeks. Oh, how I love... Your word, your law, it's my meditation all the day. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And this is the greatest and the first of the commandments. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I could go into Song of Solomon right now and really blow your minds. As lovers come together to seek each other intimately, pleasurably. It is a willful, decisive affection that grows as a picture of our affection for the Lord. And I'll just let that ride. But there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way of this. So how do we grow into truly lovers? Not just taking care of needs with apathy or indifference. Not looking to feel, because that's not true. I don't feel anymore, but I'm loving. I willfully love, so I'm going to post, put my attention to meet needs because of my love, and I'm going to put my attention to grow emotionally closer and bond with someone because of my love. So how do we do that? We, we do that with shared experiences. And that's what the New Testament talks about all the time, isn't it? Paul's like, I want to be there. Remember when we were together, we were doing this. I've, op I've opened up my counseling practice again. Very small. I've got a couple of people I'm talking with. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm expanding this gift. And one of the primary things that we always say is we ask the question, what brought, like, for example, like a marriage, what brought you together? And a lot of times it's infatuation. When did you make the choice to love one another? That's what I ask now. When did you make the choice to love one another? Make that choice today. Like a, com like a comedian tests jokes. I test lines like this at my house. <laughs> and you know why I love you? You know, she's because I choose to. It's not very romantic. Nope. But it frames my purpose. And then when the romance is there, oh man, it's great. But it's not the fuel that keeps it. And when it's not there, uh, it's not the fuel that burns it down. Early love, early tenderness. And this is biblical. We return Revelation, I mean, John, he, he talks, he, he's, Jesus is telling him to write a letter to the church of Ephesus, chapter 2. I know the works. Oh, man, you're serving. I know your toil and your labor and your patient endurance. Man, you are tough. Y'all are really doing everything right and how you cannot bear with evil. 
You're standing for righteousness, and you've tested those who call themselves apostles and found to be false. Gosh, I know you are enduring patiently, and you're bearing up for my namesake, and you've not grown weary. You're really giving it your all. But I have this against you. Listen to that. Jesus, if he stood right now and says, hey, buddy, I, I'll point to an empty chair, have this against you. I mean, this isn't like the guy at the bank going, oh, I don't like the way your cologne smells. It's stifling me. Or I saw your YouTube video and I just don't agree. This is God. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember. Return. Oh, great. Remind, remain. There we go. There's the four points of the sermon. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Change your mind. That's what the word repent means. Change the way you are thinking and put your mind on thinking this way. Do the works that you did at first. What were the works that you do at first when you fall in love with Jesus? You remind yourself of how you're loved by Him. You remind yourself on what His love is and what He's done for you. Not what He hasn't done for you today. What have you done for me lately? A lot of songs like that. It's a good question. And I think as those who are to love one another, we ought to ask ourselves that question. What have I done for them today? How have I encouraged them today? How have I built them up today? Have I prayed for them? Have I remembered who they really are? Or am I looking at who they're acting to be right now? Remember the beginning, Jesus says, and if not, if not, I will come to you and I will remove your light from its place unless you change the way you think. Remind. Back to Ephesians, you know. Being built up in love. Speaking the truth in love, living in love, my calling. <sighs> so crazy how much responsibility I've put on myself for everything for so long. My responsibility is to remind us of the love of God and to remind us of how to live as loving people. It's up to you to do it. To teach you how to do, how to grow, so that you may do the work of the ministry. And yet we need help. We need other people. We need other men and women in the church to lead, to be examples, and to help structure the, the, the environment for that. I remind us, I teach, I pray, I, I lead by example, and then we all do the work. And the work is not fulfilled in the context of what? Of doing uh, or providing a structured program for you. I can't create a program of loving your neighbor. If we have needs in the neighbor, with the neighbor, then we as a church can meet those needs. But if we're, who are we gonna, who are we gonna help this week? Who are we gonna help this week? Who we got? That's not, that's not, what are we gonna learn this week? This isn't living. This is such a, it's not organic. It's like taping leaves to a plant and saying that it's growing. Look at all the leaves. Oh, crap, half of them died. Let's tape some more. And that's where I feel like the ministry can be so quickly if we're not careful. It becomes sterile and fake. And then we end up buying a silk plant that we just have to dust. And then we get mad because we're the only one dusting it. Now I dust this plant every week. Ooh, such an energy expression. Blow on it. You know, Johnny over here never dusts. I'm the only duster. Resentment. He's a sorry person. Contempt. 
I don't care about Johnny. Change the way you think. Being built up in love. How is it going to work? Because now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than anything we could think of or ask for. To be strengthened. Paul prayed this prayer and it was answered. Are you not strengthened in the gospel? Well, I don't feel strong because we're not putting our mind on the love of God and we're not loving others as God has called us to. And you know what else? I actually misspoke. There's three ways we're supposed to love. Three objects of our affection. And one of them is yourself. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Husbands, as your own body, love your wives. Nourish, care, clean, feed. For no one despises his own body. And we need to remain in this. We need to remain in this love. Nothing can separate us. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And people will come into our lives in the context of our fellowship, come into our lives in the context of our friendships, and we are responsible for them as long as they agree to stay. When it comes to marriage, we're in a, we're in a commitment. When it comes to our children, there's not a whole lot we can do to get rid of them. But eventually they will leave and they will become their own person, independent of us. Children must be independent of their parents as they grow. And sometimes things get in the way of even those relationships. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not even God himself. Nothing. And all these things, as we are being killed all the day long, regarded as sheep as slaughter, a.k.a. normal life, <laughs> we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is Romans eight thirty seven. For I am certain, I am convinced, I'm sure, I'm absolutely guaranteed to think these things are true. I am certain that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the things present, nor things to come, nor any power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing shall separate us. I know a love like this. I want to love like this. I want you to love like this. It's going to take time. And it's going to take not listening to the culture and not listening to the Christian culture. Please. I believe the Christian culture is more antichrist than the culture. And I'm going to show you that in the months to come. This idea of love and care and investment, emotional, mental energy, cathexis, choosing to feel close and bond. Love forms the foundation of our actions and attitudes toward each other. The Bible teaches us to love one another selflessly and sacrificially as God has loved us. It involves genuine care and concern for the well-being and progress of others in every element of life. Cathexis, this involves investing our emotional and mental energy in something or someone. In the context of caring for one another, it means directing our thoughts and affections and attention toward their needs, their progress, and success. It is an intentional investment of our energy to support and uplift them. It helps us be close. Care. It encompasses a whole range of actions and attitudes that demonstrate love and concern for others' needs. It involves actively looking out for the well-being, the progress, the success of those around us. You see those terms? Care can be shown through acts of kindness, provision, encouragement, support, and service. But when we put all these things together, and you might think, this is some psychobabble. No, it's theology. Because now I can show you in the very last moments, as I've already done, that Jesus Christ exemplified all of these. He willfully chose to put his affection and his emotion and his intention toward his people. 
in everything, not just the grand scheme of the meta narrative of the universe, which come to be the sacrificial lamb, but even in the daily things. Speaking the truth and love to Jesus was not getting people to be called out because of their error. It was loving them through it and helping them feel confident that he alone could guide them to the truth. And until they saw it perfectly, and then even though they would forget it later, it wouldn't change their standing before him. Does that sound familiar? So death do us part. And now Jesus will never die. <laughs> he embraced the outcast, the marginalized, the sinners, showing compassion, offering forgiveness, or teaching forgiveness. His love was selfless and all-encompassing. He invested his emotional and mental energy, ministering to people, demonstrated deep empathy, understanding their struggles, loving them, weeping because people weeped. He engaged with them on a personal level, showing genuine interest and concern for their lives. He cared for them by meeting them, their needs. Even though there was a theological purpose for this, he showed the way and then said we should do likewise. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He comforted the brokenhearted. He spent time teaching, guiding, empowering his disciples to go out and do the same. He went out of his way to meet people where they were, like John 4, like Nicodemus, like Zacchaeus. And he addressed their physical needs, their emotional needs, and most importantly, their spiritual needs. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He showed love to sinners. He cared for people. And if this is the example of what God's love is and the example of what human love can be, we need to get with it. And what does that mean? Be reminded of the gospel, returning to our first love and remaining there in our mind, our body, and our decisions and will. Let's pray. Father, I am tired. And many of us are tired. I can see it. I can feel it. We're tired. And sometimes we don't even know why. We just know that there's so many things that are just dragging us down emotionally that, that our energy, that our emotional energy is gone. Thus our physical energy is gone and our mental energy is gone. And, and sometimes it's because we're not getting our physical needs met, our, our emotional needs met, our spiritual needs met. So Lord, we have that responsibility for each other that we would patiently just wait and love as we wait. Father, as the Apostle Paul prayed that we would be filled and strengthened with all power by the love of Christ in us and the power that indwells us and is in work in us, Lord, this spiritual truth that we seem to debunk and act like it's just this mind thing, it's, it's really working. Drive us to your word. And Father, there are members of this congregation who, who we've not seen or heard from and they are neglecting your promises. And it breaks my heart. But it is not my responsibility to change them. Nor is it any of our responsibilities to change them. We can speak the truth and leave the outcome to you. Lord, teach us even the practical ways of learning how to talk with each other and to see each other. As I think about perception and how your word teaches us to view the world and to view everything, let us view one another through the eyes of grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation unto a love that is greater than it ever was before. Get us away from the, the past and longing for a different, better future. Help us to live the abundant life now in the grace that you've given us in Christ. For he gave his life, he, his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. 
that His love might be seen and that His love might empower us to love as we've seen. And we thank you for this in His name we pray.